Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and here we spoon feed you literature. We just want to make keeping up on the literature as easy as possible, and to do that, we spoon feed it to you through your earbuds. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, though. They're all good articles, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and, of course, the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. This is the audio version of the past week's articles, which were brought to you this week by our authors, Carmen Wolf, Samuel Rouleau, Aaron Lacey, and, of course, Clay Smith. And we skipped to the second article, titled Contemporary Management and Outcomes of Patients with High-Risk Pulmonary Embolism, out of the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Let's pretend, just pretend, you were not already scared of high-risk pulmonary embolisms, PEs. That way, we have a reason to review some of the reasons that, well, eh, you should be scared. There's some reason to believe that the mortality of high-risk PEs has actually increased in the United States as well, so things might not even be getting better. Anyways, when I say high-risk PE, I mean embolisms that cause hypotension or hemodynamic collapse. To get to the bottom of our scary little house tour here of pulmonary embolisms, these authors used the PERT consortium, including 1,400 patients with high-risk PEs and 3,000 intermediate-risk PEs. When I say intermediate risk, I mean normal blood pressure, but signs of right heart strain. So let's put some numbers to these things. In-hospital mortality for high-risk PEs was 21%, compared with 4% in the intermediate-risk group. Patient factors associated with mortality were malignancy and hypoxemia. Now, if you'd like to, you could also further divide up the high-risk group and isolate catastrophic PEs, those causing cardiac arrest or really high-dose vasopressors. Here we see that catastrophic PEs have a mortality of 42%, when the rest of just normal old high-risk PEs, they're closer to 17%. Interestingly, only 46% of these high-risk patients received advanced therapies, like thrombolysis, embolectomy, or ECMO, which I think highlights significant practice variation. These are high-risk patients, they should probably be getting some therapies. Now, those with catastrophic PEs were more likely to receive systemic thrombolysis and ECMO. At least there's that. Now, this is pretty interesting stuff, right? And these are, these are high numbers. We're looking at 42%, 21% overall. Yikes, that's a mortality of 1 in 5. And sadly, the numbers are probably going to be worse at wherever you work. Since the centers included in this study, well, these were from the PERT consortium. And PERT stands for PE Response Team. So they have a robust PE response team that has 24-7 availability with every treatment under the sun available to them. Most sites don't even offer ECMO at all. So if you have a patient with a high-risk pulmonary embolism, don't treat these patients lightly. Immediately ask yourself if there's a contraindication to thrombolysis, and if not, then give it. If there is, then get your specialists on board and think about the other therapies. In a spoonful, this article garners a healthy respect for PEs significant enough to cause hypotension. Those are high-risk PEs. And then the third article titled, Addressing the Rising Trend of High-Risk Pulmonary Embolism Mortality, Clinical and Research Priorities, from the Academy of Emergency Medicine. Alright, so we just saw that mortality associated with high-risk PEs is high, but it's not just high, it's getting higher. Indeed, the mortality associated with high-risk PEs has increased 100% from 2009 to 2019, 
That's a big difference and one we should be addressing if we can at all because this is a common condition and sadly a deadly condition. Think about how much time we devote to testing, treating, avoiding PEs, just thinking about them, and yet the mortality is increasing. I, I find that really disheartening. While it's difficult to know for certain, the reason that the mortality is increasing is due to many factors. Our aging population, which now have more comorbidities, the fact that we're diagnosing more PEs, possibly because people are surviving long enough to get them, but also because you know, we're classifying them better. And then there's also the increase in the prevalence of PEs just in general caused by the spread of COVID. And then lastly, sadly, there is some problems with undertreatment of PEs in some cases. Now, I like authors that do more than just point out a problem. They also want to fix the problem. These authors recommend some things that we can do to help with the mortality associated with PEs. Here's a few suggestions. If you really think that they have a PE, then you can start treatment, you can start anticoagulating them before they even go to imaging. Then, once they're back, you're one step ahead. And now, that sounds a little bit risky to me, because you don't really know what they have if they just have chest pain, so you have to be pretty sure that they have a PE. But you should try to screen out any contraindications to anticoagulation before doing this, so you'll have at least thought about it. Next is to take the step after that. You've confirmed the diagnosis of a PE, and perhaps they are hypotensive, a high-risk patient. Go for thrombolysis. Assuming, of course, no contraindications to thrombolysis either. If you can't, then think about the other options that you still have. Talk to people about potential catheter-directed thrombolysis with your specialists, or even thrombolectomy, and if they're really going downhill, then possibly ECMO. And how can you facilitate all of this? Well, you could try founding PE response teams in your own hospital. This takes resources and probably some volume to justify, but it can help. Now, let's not forget about patients who aren't quite high risk, but you're still scared about. You can't sit idle on these patients either. We need research on these patients to better decide who would benefit from which treatment avenues. The tip after that from the authors are to use the research we already have and to follow the consensus guidelines. In stable patients, rather than using unfractionated heparin, reach for low molecular weight heparin or fundaparinox. Lastly, it's also good to know that we might see some changes coming up in the near future about which treatments we can actually give to these patients, as trials are ongoing about reduced-dose thrombolysis, as well as more research on interventional approaches like catheter-directed thrombolysis and thrombolectomies. I think the takeaway from this study is that you want to treat these patients once you've identified them and treat them aggressively. In Spoonful, the mortality associated with high-risk PEs has increased in the USA, but that does not need to remain true. Okay, that's all our articles. Let's do a quick wrap-up. From the second article, high-risk PEs are associated with significant mortality. From the third article, there's always room for improvement for the mortality of those PEs, though, so we should do our part to try to address that high, scary mortality. Again, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not part of the members feed, so you missed three articles from this past week. One looked at how hard you should be holding on that mask. Second was the latest in pre-hospital airway recommendations. And the third article you missed was all about inductions in TBI patients. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Our goal here, my goal here, is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.